You're listening to Audio Interference, produced by Interference Archive. Interference Archive is a social space, exhibition venue, and OpenStax archive of social movement material. Our work is rooted in the belief that our shared histories should be held in common and accessible to all. If you're looking for another great podcast, check out Borrowed from Brooklyn Public Library. It's a narrative podcast about superhero librarians, Brooklyn neighborhood stories, and what it means to be a free, democratic space in a changing world. Just search Borrowed in your podcast app of choice or on the web at bklynlibrary.org podcasts. Season three drops today, September 30th, 2020. One way or another, they're gonna try to divide us all. One way or another. This episode of Audio Interference is about Survived and Punished, a coalition of defense campaigns and grassroots groups committed to eradicating the criminalization of survivors of domestic and sexual violence and the culture of violence that contributes to it. We're speaking with two members of the New York chapter of the group, Will Willis and Maureen Silverman. My name's William Willis. I uh, got involved with Survived and Punished at the beginning, well, actually at the end of 2019. My name is Maureen Silverman. Um, I was involved in Survived and Punished New York since Mariam Kaba founded it in 2017. Mariam Kaba is an organizer, educator, and curator who works in abolition. This episode is born out of a collaboration with one of Survived and Punished's four working groups. The Newsletter Working Group. The Newsletter Working Group produces a print publication that is circulated to folks inside and outside of prisons. So the people that we, we, we are advocating to free are people who were mostly re- repeatedly recurrently abused by a partner, usually a man, and they acted in self-defense for their own survival, but they were criminalized and they were punished and incarcerated in turn. And our goal is to end all forms of decriminalization of survival, including migration, including protecting children, and we oppose incarceration in, in psychiatric wards. Before we dive deeper into their work, we're going back to the 19th century. Maureen talks about an important legal case in Missouri from 1855. The outcome of this case connects the systemic oppression and violence of slavery to the carceral system today. This is the story of Celia in 1855. Sexual control of enslaved women by white owners was critical to the perpetuation of slavery, and that system prevails today as women are criminalized for their self-defense, especially Black women. So what's happening is an extension of slavery. In Missouri, in the mid-1800s, a Black woman named Celia, who was enslaved, endured sexual violence by her slave owner, Robert Newsom, for five years. When she asked Mr. Newsom to stop, he continued. Acting in self-defense, Celia killed Mr. Newsom. The case was brought to court. A Missouri law at the time permitted women to use deadly force to defend themselves against sexual advances. The core question of the case was whether this law would be extended to an enslaved woman. 
It wasn't. The court found Celia guilty, and she was sentenced to death on December 21st, 1855. Despite vigorous defense from lawyers, the court found that Celia was property. She was shadow slavery. She was property and not a person. Therefore, she was allowed to be raped. She did not have agency to be judged as a murderess, and she was punished for her resistance. The court prioritized the protection of wealth, whiteness, and property over a Black woman's right to bodily autonomy. It's 2020, and Black women, non-binary, and trans people are still criminalized for defending their bodies. These dehumanizing values are embedded in our carceral system. So now cuff me up and let me go. So now cuff me up and let me go. I'll take the house arrest in ankle bracelet. The drug test will cuff you and P.O. So now just cuff me up. So now just cuff me up. So now just cuff me up and let me go. So now just cuff me up. So now just cuff me up. That was survived and punished comrade EVA singing the song that she wrote called A Quarter of a Century. It references her campaign to free herself from a 25 to life sentence and was recorded over the phone from Bedford Hills Prison, a maximum security correctional facility in Bedford Hills, New York. You'll hear parts of the song throughout this episode, including an accompanying rap by another comrade, Sassy who is also incarcerated at Bedford Hills. The Record Keepers, the legacy of abolitionist newsletters. Newsletters have been used in abolitionist organizing to bridge the communication gaps that prisons create and maintain. Will helps produce Survived and Punished's quarterly newsletter called Free Survivors, which draws on the legacy of abolitionist newsletters from the 1970s and 80s. There's this book by a scholar named Emily Thuma called All Our Trials, um, and the subtitle is Prisons, Policing, and a Feminist Fight to End Violence. In it, she writes that, quote, prisons rely on isolation. Visiting, phone, and mail regulations limit prisoners' access to their loved ones and others concerned about their well-being. In the book, It also goes through the history of abolitionist newsletters from the 1970s and the early 80s, such as No More Cages and Through the Looking Glass. And I would really recommend um, reading about these if you can, just because it's such a great reminder that, you know, nothing, none of the work we're doing is necessarily um, novel. It's not something that, um, you know, we have to come up with from scratch. there are strong traditions there of abolitionist uh, print culture. And so these newsletters that I mentioned offered folks on the inside an avenue to resist this condition of state-enforced isolation. Contributors to free survivors include survivors inside and outside, as well as advocates and allies. The newsletter has stories, information, campaign updates, book reviews from folks inside, poetry, and art. It builds community, strategy, and safe spaces for expression across prison walls. 
It's a matter of circulate, circulating information and fostering relationships that challenge the isolation. The newsletter was initially a print publication, and now they circulate it as a print and digital newsletter. This podcast launched in tandem with their fourth issue that includes the reflections on archiving life behind bars. We will link to it in our show notes. Prisons are a form of social control and racial capitalism. Beth Ritchie, a longtime prison abolitionist, talks about how neoliberalism requires the state to not take care of people, especially people of color, and instead to punish them, criminalize, and control them. Under racial capitalism, the state divests from communities of color and uses incarceration as a, as a solution. So there was a connection between the patriarchal cultural state, racism, classism, and all forms of oppression and homophobia. Many of our institutionalized systems of care are severely underfunded and often operate with the same punitive logic of the carceral system. Our social service system has failed to help these communities and they've further abandoned them. We have a lack of, we lack of robust safety net of affordable housing and stable housing and universal health care as our prison and policing systems expanded. But through the pains of our regrets and the hurts of our desires, we're not ready for society. So now just cuff us up. Why don't you not just cuff us up? Let's hear it now just cuff us up and let us go. So now just cuff us up. Why don't you not just cuff us up? Let's hear it now so cuff us up and let us go. The prison industrial complex perpetuates a culture of violence. It requires that people be labeled as violent or nonviolent offenders and within prison walls subjects them to its own form of violence. The violent or nonviolent dichotomy fails to acknowledge the root cause of why people engage in violent acts and fails to justify the logic of cages. How does survived and punished challenge narratives around violence? Criminalized survivors are considered violent offenders, even though they act in self-defense. But even if they didn't, we believe nobody should be in a cage. And the governor and the mayor and district attorneys constantly make the distinguish between good prisoners, bad prisoners, violent and nonviolent. And we're always fighting against that to say cages are terrible to everybody and everybody should be free. It's a challenge to overcome the stigma of, of violence and the way vi- that the economy is used to further perpetuate the prison industrial complex. 
systems, working within an abolitionist framework. Survived and Punished is an abolitionist group, meaning their goal is to dismantle the interconnected systems of the prison industrial complex. What this also means is dismantling all related systems that push people into the prison pipeline. Abolition is not just defunding the police, it's building a, a world where we divert resources from non-punishment systems into, into real community needs. We're not just opposing like the interconnected systems of official institutions like policing, courts, judges, district attorney, department of corrections, but we also don't want to reproduce systems like social services, like mandated reporters, who feed into the criminal justice system or um, homeless programs that have curfews and shelters. As we talk about opposing these different systems, it's also about building things up um, and kind of using our imaginations to have a more capacious understanding of what accountability looks like. As Will says, while part of the work of abolition is dismantling carceral systems, it's also about imagining new forms of accountability and building supportive, safe communities. Survived and Punished's work is rooted in transformative justice. So Mia Mingus, an organizer with the Bay Area Transformative Justice Collective, defines transformative justice as, uh, quote, a political framework for responding to violence, harm, and abuse without creating more violence. And so at its core, we're talking about responses to violence and to injustice. And here I'm paraphrasing Mia Mingus again, but responses that do not rely on the state, do not reinforce or perpetuate violence, such as oppressive norms or vigilantism. And third, actively cultivate the things we know prevent violence, such as healing, accountability, resilience, and safety for everyone involved. No, we're not better or less than any other. No, no, we're not better. No, no, we're not better. No, we're no saints, but we're no longer any different. No, no, we're no different. No, no, we're no different. But the nature of our existence is to live, love, and laugh. To enjoy as much as we can, even though we know sometimes it could end up all bad. Combating the isolation machine, how does Survived and Punished build relationships through prison walls? 
quote, without being able to talk to people outside, we don't have a voice. That's why communication is so important to us, because injustice is going to happen. We're inside prison. If we can talk to people outside, then we have a better shot at preventing cover-ups. That was Will reading from a piece by his comrade on the inside, Misha Walker, published on March 26, 2020, in Tits and Sass, a collective blog of journalism by and for sex workers. We get letters, and then we vet the letters, and then we go visit people, and we build a relationship with them. We get to know their story. We ask them if they want to be in their campaign. We advocate to free them with the other large number of people we are asking Governor Cuomo to free through commuting their sentences. And we build relationships by, over time, getting to know them, building trust, honoring their stories, having their stories be survivor-centered. We build relationships by being consistent and visiting them. We build relationships by honoring their voice in our campaign, by asking them how they think we should shape our campaign and having that influence what we do. Even outside of pandemic conditions, there are a million barriers to basic communications across the walls. Um, But these issues basically have become more urgent and exacerbated by the current situation. And so some of the primary challenges faced by folks on the inside that I've been told about in my own personal correspondence um, have to do with uncertainty about being able to communicate with your friends and your family on the outside, uncertainty about access to commissary and care packages, and uncertainty about how this pandemic will be used as a pretense to enforce further punishments such as solitary. And even as we mentioned at Bedford, uncertainty about receiving food at your next meal or enough soap. By restricting access to communication, the carceral system censors the injustice that folks experience on the inside. Survived and Punished's newsletter, Free Survivors, broadens the reach of updates and news from folks on the inside. Because prisons restrict digital access, the print edition of Free Survivors is crucial. Prisons can charge exorbitant rates to send and receive email making it almost impossible for some people on the inside to read free survivors. Print information and correspondence, though monitored, is still one of the most reliable forms of communication. So much of my correspondence is with our newsletter contributors. And, you know, when I first joined, I kind of sent out messages to a few people via snail mail and via the kind of prison email system, which is called JPay. JPay is a private company providing electronic correction services that started a contract with the City of New York in 2019. In their first year of service, they're expected to take in a profit of $9 million from fees for services, like folks on the inside downloading books, apps, and and for sending e-correspondence like the important messages Will refers to. Before anything, um, you know, the most important thing Uh, is addressing any immediate needs of folks we're in communication with. Once kind of immediate needs are addressed, um, you know, I'm often asked to share a bit about myself, maybe including a picture, explain how I got interested in that kind of work. And I basically take the lead of anyone I'm in communication with. The responses are inevitably mutually nourishing. It's a really unique way to connect with comrades who the state tries to keep isolated from the world outside. I can't tell you how many times I've been asked about my own well-being and that of my family in almost every letter I receive. 
building life-affirming relationships, transforming in the process. A reciprocal relationship with people, not based on deserving and not deserving, based on um, uplifting the dignity and respect of people inside prisons and relationship building. It's not a charity model. It's oriented towards the possibility of, as they said, creating mutually nourishing connections, mutual aid, hopes to creatively transform what it means to give. And they say that they envision a future that acknowledges the interconnectedness of people, which requires us to build structures that are life-affirming. The systems we currently live under do not fulfill our needs. And through mutual aid, Maureen explains how we can better capacitate ourselves and our communities to do it for each other. Survived and Punished has a working group dedicated to mutual aid. The pandemic has made prison conditions unimaginably worse. I'm really sorry to say that we're still mourning the loss of our comrade, Darlene, whose life was taken by COVID at Bedford Hills. She was one of our newsletter contributors just days before her 62nd birthday. And, you know, she's an example of someone who's, who, sh- who shouldn't have been there, you know, um, not that anyone should be, but um, she was someone who was, you know, compromised, who was, you know, like I said, it was days before her 62nd birthday in conditions that made it impossible to give her the treatment she needed. Will elaborates on the current conditions at Bedford Hills Prison, gathered from information Survived and Punished has received from folks inside. So first things first is that there's just no social distancing in prison. Our prisons uh, are public health crises. They were public health crises before COVID, and it's really impossible to follow any of the guidelines that are given by um, the CDC or anything like that. Survived and Punished was made aware of uh, starvation conditions, specifically at Bedford Prison. So people wrote in explaining that they weren't getting enough food, things like that. So, you know, in my own correspondence, I've been told about um, retaliation from prison staff when attempts are made to to relay some of the conditions and the information to folks on the outside. Um, retaliation, like getting pulled aside by a sergeant, getting a talking to our, and then also, you know, all of the communication is monitored. It's been a quarter, it's been a quarter, it's been a quarter of a century. I'll take the house arrest, the ankle bracelet, the drugs as a curfew, and P.O. So now just cuff us up, why don't you not just cuff us up, let's hear it now just cuff us up, and let us go. There are no good conditions. Abolish prisons now. The conditions of prisons will always be bad. So therefore, we need to abolish prisons and we need to free them. We need everybody to be free. Our major goal is to free people, but we also need to make sure that people are taken care of in the meantime, that their material needs for survival, that we address those needs. And we're also 
making sure that when we do phones apps, when we do emails, when we contact public officials, we ask them to improve the conditions. And we know that we say that prisons have always been terrible. Now they're worse. And we tell them they must free them all. So we don't talk about conditions ever without saying free them all. While this episode ends here, this is only the beginning. Visit audiointerference.org to listen to letters from comrades on the inside and for show notes with links to resources from this episode. Visit www.survivedandpunishedny.org to read Survived and Punished New York's newsletters and explore their work. Thanks to EVA, Sassy, Maureen Silverman, and Will Willis for contributing to this episode. Now we will play the rest of EVA's song to end this episode. Not a heart or soul of mine that can deny, can't deny. We need change, so let's change. Cause it's been a quarter, it's been a quarter, it's been a quarter of a century. Yeah, it's been a quarter, it's been a quarter, it's been a quarter of a century.